0: going on, Vinyl Community? You are listening to The Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. First off, before I get into anything, I just want to say how excited and honored I am to be a part of Vinyl Community Podcasts. Uh, This is a fun venture that I am pursuing for the first time ever, and this right here is going to be the first segment of a new series that I will be exclusively hosting here on Vinyl Community Podcasts, and that is called Current Rotations. Uh, For anyone out there that watches my YouTube channel called The Record Spinner, you know that I showcase a lot of albums uh, that are in my collection, whether it's in my monthly vinyl hauls or if I do a themed video where I have to showcase albums that represent something. And one of the things that a lot of YouTube channels within the vinyl community do is that they will do videos showcasing what they have spun lately. Now, the idea of doing that is indeed appealing. But in my sort of queue of content that I have mapped out for the next several months, or I should say almost the entire year, it's kind of tough to integrate that into a kind of steady rotation. So I figured what better way to do a segment like this than on here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. So I will basically just be discussing uh, the various records that I have been spinning on my turntable uh, throughout the week or a couple weeks and kind of give some background um, as to what entails with these specific albums talk about some key tracks the pressings themselves for those that are inclined to know all kinds of fun minutiae so enough of the chit chat let's jump into what this is all about now, if you are a longtime viewer of my channel, you know that I am a massive KISS fan, and I always gotta keep it in KISS territory, albeit this time around, it is in solo KISS t- territory, uh, because one of the albums that I've been listening to a lot lately... Is Ace Frehley Spaceman. This album came out back in 2018, and as of recording this episode, this is his most latest album of all original material. Um, I say that because um, he's been doing these Origins albums, where he covers songs of like artists and songs that have influenced him, and his latest album is Origins Volume 2. So, as of recording, like I said, this is his latest of original material, and this is a nice, solid, concise album, because, and honestly... A lot of times now when it comes to new albums, there's always artists that will go ahead and do double albums as a new studio record. For me, there is that little bit of gratification that implies with just putting out a single LP... 9 to 10 tracks, no BS, and it's just so gratifying. And that's exactly what this album is. And there are tons of great tracks on it, such as Without You, I'm Nothing, Rockin' with the Boys, Bronx Boy, um, I Wanna Go Back, Mission to Mars is Good Fun. And he also does um, a track called Quantum Flux, which is kind of like another installment in this series where Ace will do instrumental album closures. Um, It all started back... When he did his 1978 solo album, Within Kiss, there was Fractured Mirror. Then when he did Furley's Comet in the 80s, he did Fractured 2, and so on and so forth. Um, some cool little bits of um, history with this album is that um, Ace actually did work with Gene Simmons on a couple of tracks. Um, I believe the ones that he had co-written as well as played on were uh, Without You I'm Nothing and Your Wish Is My Command. Um, the track Bronx boy was released as a single, there's a 12 inch EP that's available out there. Um, obviously it's a nice sort of, uh, tip to ACEs roots growing up in the Bronx section of New York. Um, I want to go back is a cover song, uh, which is a good bit of fun. Um, it just, it's, it evokes nostalgia, um, it's just a great reflective kind of tune. Uh, Mission to Mars is a cool, just kind of jammy, riff-eccentric track. Uh, there's a fun little animated music video that um, kind of goes with that, which you can check out. Off My Back is kind of a cool sort of dc esque kind of sounding tune instrumentally. Um, this is one, when, when I go to like a lot of Ace's um, more recent solo albums, given that he is a rather prolific uh, member within the KISS family, um, he has been the most consistent with solo albums. And This is one out of the ones that he has released lately that I always go back to. Now, of course, I do own multiple copies and variants of things. And I figured it's worth mentioning that the copy that I have been spinning in particular is the copy that I picked up when I was on my trip to St. Louis with the youngest members of the VC, um, which are my uh, good friends, Emma. Uh, Marican and Jenna and um, if you watch our documentary you can see me actually mentioning this album uh, but what's cool with this pressing is that this is the indie exclusive variant which has a totally different album cover art which has ace in an orange spacesuit and he's holding a helmet and if you look at the helmet it's his spaceman makeup uh, which is pretty unique and the way that ace is kind of like, positioned all over the album cover. It kind of reminds me of, like, that 50 million Elvis fans, um, album in terms of, like, the the design and look, which is pretty cool. Um, inside, there is a printed inner sleeve, uh, which has Aces Les Paul, um, Pictured on one side with all the tracks, as well as who played what and who did what, and then the back of the insert—I um, shouldn't say insert—the printed inner sleeve has um, all of Ace of Soul albums that came out up to that point in 2018, which is awesome. And to also keep it in line. Uh, with the sort of orange kind of color scheme with the space outfit that Ace is wearing on the cover, it does come pressed on heavyweight orange vinyl. Uh, There's also a download card, and when I say download card, I mean a literal download card, uh, which has the album artwork on it, and there's a code where you can download an MP3 version of the album. And also, fun little fact, this is um, limited to 1,970 copies, so yes, indeed, 1970 copies, Copies. It's not numbered, so you can only kind of guess how limited it really is if it's not numbered and it's marketed as being so limited. But nevertheless, it's a cool variant to own of this album, and it's of one that I spend quite often in terms of Ace Furley's uh, recent solo material. Next up is an album that I've actually discussed recently in one of my recent videos called Rock Music and the Occult Who Did It First. Uh, The album is called Witchcraft Destroys Minds and Reaps Souls by Coven. Uh, Coven, kind of a spoiler alert if you haven't checked out the video, Coven was one of the first bands of the late 60s to really work in occult elements into rock music predates Black Sabbath, predates Black Widow, and any other band that would work in occult imagery, the only real distinguished difference being is that these guys were, like, truly serious about it, so much that on the B side of the album, it literally includes a satanic mass, uh, which is absolutely insane. Musically, it is very much a product of the late 1960s. Literally, think of like Jefferson Airplane, but just evil you know with different lyrics and such Jinx Dawson the vocalist on this record as well as in Coven has this great sort of operatic background that really shines on the tracks as this it's very dramatic lots of vibrato she really explores her range on this album but not even just in the operatic sense like there are a lot of moments where she is just wailing and putting in so much grit that gives off so much attitude um, it's absolutely great um, but it's even funny because like I'd mentioned with, you know, these guys kind of predating what Sabbath would go on to do. And yet everyone kind of points to Sabbath for all of these sort of occultish kind of connections with like, like obviously with the band name black Sabbath and the subject matters that are explored on things like electric funeral and, um, NIB and all those early tracks, um, just to kind of provide some funny parallels The first track on this Coven album is called Black Sabbath. And the bass player of Coven is a guy by the name of Oz Osborne. Kind of interesting. Um, And even if you listen to the track Dignitaries of Hell, the opening riff that you hear in the beginning of the song, sounds like the riff that appears in the breakdown of Black Sabbath's Electric Funeral. You'll have to listen to them side by side to really hear it. Uh, But nonetheless, this is just a great kind of groovy late 60s piece of you know psychedelic occult you know type music Uh, obviously the track black sabbath on this album is one of the more dynamic tunes in terms of the arrangement um white witch of rose hall is a cool kind of piano bongo type of you know driving piece coven and charing cross is great um that one kind of explores um jinx's um kind of more operatic vocals Um, Pack with Lucifer is a cool kind of groovy tune. Wicked Woman was the single released off of here. That's the one that perhaps most people might know. Uh, The track Portrait um, is a nice sort of mellow tune with great harmonies. Um, And then, of course, like I said, Side B has a legit satanic mass where if you're superstitious, I understand if you would want to stop the album there. But um, honestly, like when you hear it and you hear all the sound effects that go off It makes it kind of borderline comical, but... (laughs) Tread carefully, <laughs> but um, the, and the artwork on this album is wicked because it, the band appears, you know, on the cover wearing inverted cross necklaces and a skull, and then the back cover has the band giving the sign of the horns long before Ronnie James dia would do so uh with Rainbow and Sabbath, which obviously, and and it's funny because I can kind of refer to this since I am Italian. It's called the Maloyk, the sign of the horns. It kind of. It warrants protection, but you can also give someone the evil eye and give the sign of the horns as well. So it's interesting how it can be adapted in different cultures, whether it's italian or in the world of metal so they were the first ones to do that um it has like a triple not triple gatefold but like a double gatefold that opens up and like jinx is laid out on an altar naked and the band members are wearing like priest outfits and cloaks like as if she's like sacrificing herself which is insane (laughs) and then like then the the double gatefold the other one that opens up has like all kinds of weird like Imagery with like gothic text for all the lyrics and this and that. Um, it's 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 out there. So honestly, I I am I don't practice this kind of thing personally, but musically it's great um, and it's a little bit of history too. Um, just to provide a little bit more context, um, when the, I think Coven was very much too ahead of their time. Because um, when this album came out, there was um, an article that came out in an um, in Esquire magazine called "Like Evil Lurks in California," and at the time uh, Manson was, you know, making headlines and the Tate LaBianca murders, and somehow Coven was mentioned in this article. So they tied Manson with Coven, and they pulled the album from circulation. And Coven's career kind of took some interesting twists and turns from there. So, anyways, you know, it's only in retrospect now that people can acknowledge this album, and when I first saw this at Sky Valley Records, which is my favorite record store here in South Jersey where I'm at, it was on the wall, and the hype sticker said like the earliest occult rock album, and I'm like, oh my god, this sounds interesting. I didn't even hear a note out of it, and I knew it looked cool. So went ahead, picked it up, and sure enough, I was blown away musically with what I heard. Um, And the pricing that I picked up, which I think is still relatively available, it's on a label called Real Gone Music. And it's pressed on this sort of aqua blue and flame yellow kind of marbled kind of colored vinyl. Um, you really have to see it for yourself. Go on Discogs and look it up. It's an absolutely beautiful piece to behold. And if you see it and, you're, like I said, you're not feeling too superstitious, uh, check it out for yourself. Next up is another interesting piece of music history, and that is the band Death, and the album is called For the Whole World to See. Not the metal band Death the punk band Death. So Death was a band uh, that formed in the early 1970s out of Detroit and it consists of the three Hackney brothers. So there was David Hackney on guitar, Bobby Hackney on bass and vocals, and Dennis Hackney on drums. Um, They were pretty much the first guys to do Hard-driving, pre-Ramones punk rock. I say pre-Ramones because I consider the Ramones to be the godfathers of punk rock. But these guys were doing it before they would. So if you think about, you know, the musical climate in Detroit before that time, you know, you had bands like the Stooges and the MC5 that were really driving that sort of proto-punk sound. And you can hear it all over this record. Uh, Tracks that just keep on knocking are great. Rock and Roll Victim has this rapid, fast fire energy to it with the hi-hat hits on the drums, the vocals. It is just phenomenal. You're a Prisoner has a cool kind of like dramatic menacing type chorus. Uh, my personal favorite is "Freaking Out, uh, which has this cool kind of syncopated chorus type deal with between the vocals and the instruments. It's so great. Uh, perhaps maybe the one song that most people might know is uh, Politicians In My Eye, which was indeed the only death single that came out back in the 70s because basically what happened was they recorded an album's worth of material and I believe there were ties to CBS or Columbia Records and basically they were like, yeah, we like what we hear, but we're not going to sign you until uh, you change your name. And obviously, because I think that having a band called Death uh, it was a bit too much uh, ahead of the times, let's just say. So needless to say, they stuck true to their vision, they did not sign on to the label, but they did press up a 7-inch, and the A-side was Politicians in My Eyes. Um, try to hunt down an OG copy of that, it goes for a pretty penny. Uh, so for a long time, all the tapes that they had recorded for this debut album that they were working on uh, basically just didn't come out all the way up until 2009 when Drag City um had released this album and it is just an absolutely phenomenal piece and to be honest it's the history behind this band and this album that drew some interest to you know for me personally and then I go to listen to it and I'm like wait a second what is this here and like I said it's a great piece of Detroit driven hard rocking pre-ramones punk rock it is essential listening for any music lover and for any music historian that wants to learn a little bit about one of the bands that definitely deserve to have a place in the zeitgeist of punk rock history in the mid 70s this album is it you got to check it out for yourself Next up is a relatively newer album by a band called the Death Wheelers. The album is called Divine Filth. Um, The reason how I kind of got connected with the Death Wheelers um, is down to my love for specific record labels. So they are on a label called Riding Easy Records, uh, which is a label for... Doom metal, stoner rock, psych, proto metal, things like that. Um, one of the big notable things that Riding Easy puts out is the Brown Acid series, which is a series of compilations of just under the radar proto metal, you know, singles and tracks by all these, you know, various bands that pretty much pressed up records in very small quantities and they go for high prices these days and um, these compilations just get curated and they are just great little nuggets that just dive deeper into that realm of music that just never really got marginalized in the mainstream it's a great way to discover something new I have every volume that has come out and they are still churning them out which is insane but aside from brown acid, uh, Riding Easy also is the home for a band called Black Blackwater Holy Light, which I absolutely adore, um, an all-female band, uh, which kind of consists of, like, do metal and shoegazy elements, uh, there's even, like, Electric Citizen, which is, for me, I see it as Heart Meets Rush, sound-wise, so there's a lot of stuff in that sort of retro 70s-sounding vein, and the Death Wheelers are an instrumental sort of donor doom metal type band and honestly this is just a great album to listen to while you can just kind of kick back and vibe to it and just jam to the great riffs that are on this album and it's funny like the artwork on here like, it, it says, like, underneath, like, the Death Wheeler's band name, it says, Original Motion Picture Soundtrack. So it kind of plays, like, there's some dialogue that plays in between the tracks that plays, like, a soundtrack to a film that doesn't exist. So, of course, you know, for a listener, it's all subject to imagination. But it even, um, there's, like, a little write-up on the back of the album, which kind of paints you a picture. I'll give you a brief synopsis. It says, it's 1982. Spursity is run down. The crime rate is up, and so is drug use a new kind of kick has hit the streets and it ain't pretty DTA a powerful and highly addictive hallucinogenic drug is transforming its loyal citizens into undead trash so it kind of paints a picture in your head and when you listen to the music and literally like I've after just reading that I'm like yeah that matches it perfectly. It's just a great album that you can think wild to and just jam out to. Um, It's funny with the Death Wheelers because just given the fact that I know that they were on Riding Easy Records, I was like, oh yeah, I'll definitely check them out at some point. And also with a band name like that, they have to be good. And I can honestly say that with confidence. These guys are absolutely Ass kicking, And I was able to pick up this copy of Divine Filth uh, from a WhatNot show that was held by VC giant Noble Records, who, of course, is Dylan. Um, he um, has a record shop um, in one of the Carolinas. It's escaping me right now. I apologize. But um, he was auctioning it off, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to approach it blindly, just given that it's on Writing Easy I'll just go for it and I'll have it and sure enough I dug it enough to actually want to track down some of the other Death Wheeler's albums that are out there so great piece to just kind of just jam out to and, and vibe with Next up is another newer band coming all the way from Australia, and they are called Amel and the Sniffers, and the album is called Comfort to Me. Uh, This is their latest studio release from 2021. A great punk rock band with a vocalist that almost reminds me of a more angsty and edgier um, Sherry Curry from The Runaways. Um, And the band itself is just full-on wall of power chords and attitude and punkiness. Um I know that's not really much of a word, but seriously, like you listen to it and like you think to yourself, What's there not to love? I will say though, this latest album from theirs is their most polished sounding album. Um the other releases that predate this, uh there's a double EP, which is kind of a more sort of diverse sort of release with them kind of dabbling into some more, not psychedelic really elements, but some more kind of mellow moments. It's definitely interesting. Um, their full length self titled debut is just a full on wall of sound. That is just, it perfectly encapsulates the band's essence in terms of their, um, what they're trying to achieve sound wise in the production value, which is just straight up raw and in your face. Whereas Comfort, to me, is a bit more of a polished sounding album, but also is a bit more advanced, too, in terms of the song arrangements, the hooks with the choruses, and the background vocals. It's definitely a steady progression with these guys. And, um, and this is one that like I'm listening to more and more to get more acquainted with, uh, because I kind of felt that with their first album, it just clicked right away just like that. And with this, I'm having to wrap my head around it more. But that doesn't mean that it's hard to love, because there are a lot of great moments on here. My favorite track on this album is a track called Knifey, which is a bit more of a toned-down track on this album that just kind of talks about walking in the park and pulling out a knife. Like, it's, it's kind of twisted, but the melodies and the vocals are just phenomenal. And even a track like maggot has a distinctive chorus line, but then like you have a nice counterpoint with the sort of, it sounds like background vocals, but it kind of works well as a lead. Um, Choices is great. Um, Honestly, like all these songs just have great hooks that make them easily memorable. And that is, you know, one of the great powers of this band is that they are able to craft such memorable tunes while also still delivering that essence of punk rock. So if you haven't listened to Amlin and the Sniffers, do yourself a favor and do so. I'm telling you, there must be a theme with this particular episode, because there are a lot of newer records <laughs> featured in this episode. But you know what? That's great, because everyone knows me for showcasing a lot of classic acts, such as you know Kiss, Zeppelin, Sabbath, whatever. So this is showing a rather different side of the record spinner. But the next record I'm going to be talking about is the so far sole release and also a self-titled debut release of a band called Silver Synthetic. So this band is signed to Third Man Records, which is indeed Jack White's label. And Jack White, I've said it so many times, is the reason why I got into vinyl collecting due to all the various things that he's done with the vinyl format. And he basically showed how far... The limits of the format can be and when it comes to anything that comes out on third man whether it's like an artist that i'm not too familiar with or someone new i make it a point to check it out for myself and this was one of those cases um i remember that this came out around i want to say the summer of 2021 i was aware that the album was out but i said to myself i'll pick it up when i go to third man Um, In Nashville, which indeed, that was the first trip that the youngest members of the VC went on. And that was also the first store that we went to, which was Third Man. And I I just got to say, going to Third Man for the first time ever was like a religious experience because... Um, As far back as 2014, when I started collecting vinyl, I would watch videos about the Nashville storefront, and it just seemed like this Willy Wonka factory for vinyl. It had every little bit of, you know, just third man, Jack White, White Stripes related, you know, type goodness, but also all the other cool things that the label had put out as well in terms of other releases. So I knew that it would be special when the time comes that I go out there. And sure enough, you know, going there for the very first time with my best friends in the youngest members group, it was one of the highlights of our first Nashville trip. And... Because I knew that the Silver Synthetic album had come out at the time, I figured I would pick up my copy when I went to Third Man, and that's exactly it. And I had listened to like bits and pieces of a couple of singles that came out prior to the album's release, and I dug what I heard. had a cool kind of retro vibe to it, but then I listened to the full album, and I just gotta say... This record became the soundtrack for the summer of 2021 for me. Um, In terms of what this band sounds like, think like Lou Reed slash Velvet Underground meets Television. Um, just absolutely melodic, very clean and slick sounding, but the real power lies in the arrangements, the harmonies. Um, it's just a beautiful record from start to finish. Uh, some of my favorite tracks on here are around the bend, um, chasm killer, um, out of the darkness in the beginning, unchain your heart. Um, this is just a beautiful album and it's a great summer record too. Like I said, this was the soundtrack for my summer, but this is just one of those albums where you can just put the top down, stick your fingers out of the car window and just enjoy the summer breeze. And it brings back just a lot of great memories. And there's a lot of just There's a lot of sentimental value to this album, given that I picked it up at Nashville with my friends, and just everything that was going on in my life at that given point in time. Uh, This was an album that I was listening to almost on a daily basis, so it has a very special place in my heart. And uh, so far, this is the only studio record that they have put out, uh, so definitely uh, check it out for yourself. It's definitely worth the listen. Last but not least is another Third Man-related record, and that is Olivia Jean's Night Owl. So Olivia Jean is an artist that is, I mean, at this point now, she's a relatively well-known name for Jack White fans, uh, but she was kind of in the wings as part of the roster of session players uh, within Third Man's sort of stable of artists uh, that would play on a lot of, you know, sessions for various artists that put out seven inches on the label. Uh she was the front woman of a band called the Black Bells, which was a sort of cool sort of gothic garage type all-female band, uh, which is great. They only only did one record on the label, and it's such a fun listen. Then she did a solo album in 2014 called Bathtub Love Killings, which is kind of like a more sort of brighter, melodic version of what she was doing with the Black Bells. Uh, And like I said, that was 2014. Her second solo album, Night Owl, this one here that came out in 2019, Features some more kind of surfer garage type elements uh, with tracks such as uh, Garage Bat, Night Owl, uh, which was the. Um the main single off of this record, uh, fire rhinestone. Uh, she also does a cover of, um, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this, which, so I apologize. Yan pain Chan ho, uh, which if you remember the beginning of the movie ghost world, uh, that's the song that plays in the beginning. So she has her step at, uh, doing a cover of that. Um, she has a new solo album coming out this year in may, and I actually have tickets to see her at a small little kind of club, Uh, in Philadelphia, so for any Philly listeners that are listening out there, I'll be at that show. Uh, But the reason why I say that she is a relatively well-known name at this point is because Jack White proposed to and married her on stage in Detroit, so Olivia and Jack were obviously linked for quite some time, and uh, Jack decided to make it official, and... I guess you can say it's all kind of keeping it in the reins, given that Olivia has been putting consistent albums out under the third man banner, as well as playing on various sessions. She's appeared on some of Jack White's solo stuff as well. A uh, very talented musician. And I say musician in the sense that she can play basically anything. And I say that because she does play her own drums, her guitars, vocals, bass, everything. She's one of those all-in-one packages, basically. So she's definitely a a force to reckon with. And uh, definitely check out her work for yourself. And um, stay tuned to check out her uh, new solo album, which is coming out in May. So there you guys go. That is the first ever episode of a new exclusive series that I, the record spinner, am hosting here on Vinyl Community Podcasts called Current Rotations, where I discuss all the records that I have been spinning on my turntable as of lately. Um, I hope that this was enjoyable for you all, and I am eager to provide another episode in the very near foreseeable future. See you guys in the next episode or video if you follow my channel. And most importantly, as I always say, keep the record spinning.